we got news we got brand new signings and we got a lot more in the way of staffing you don't want to miss this episode of the indie ball report podcast We are back again, episode number 155 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I'm Nick. He's well. We got news from Stan Island. We got new managers. We got new general managers. And we got a very interesting signing as well. So it's a it's an exciting week. I, I think the best way to describe it is if, that we have some sort of hiring at every position and uh, also, uh, a TV, uh, like a streaming and TV deal that I could not hate any less. So, so yeah, we'll get to that a little bit later. So there's an awful lot of everything to get to, and I'm sure you're gonna have we're gonna have one of those moments this week. So let's try to get busy with getting to that moment, and we'll start with news in the Frontier League, and we're gonna work our way through. So. We're going to start in Joliet. They have a new manager, uh, Aaron Nicola. He's out after one season going 39 and 56, one of the worst records in the Frontier League last year. Uh, no surprise he goes out in his place, goes former major leaguer, Dan Schlereth. He's named manager. He's a former major leaguer and former pick of the Diamondbacks. In fact, he got traded to Detroit with Max Scherzer. Uh, looking into it, it doesn't seem like he's been really a, a coach or a manager at the very least in some time. Yeah, I think that uh, it's an interesting hire just because uh, I think we've seen at least this offseason, probably more than any other offseason I can remember, a lot of managers being hired in indie ball that don't really have much experience, but they are they do have like experience playing in Major League Baseball and stuff like that. And, you know, and Daniel Schlereth does have some indie ball experience playing-wise. He did play for uh, Sugarland, I believe, in 2019 uh, as a reliever for them. as one of their better relievers um, on, on one of those teams. So uh, and Schlereth has played in indie ball before, so that that's certainly a plus. As far as the, uh, the lack of coaching experience, per se, it's something to keep an eye on, just because, as we talk about at length on the show, it is difficult to be an indie ball manager just because of how much responsibility is on you that's just a lot more than uh simply just managing the game like you would at like an affiliated level or even an mlb level that you're not just building the roster so that that part will be interesting but listen i mean daniel schlaris been at uh he's been at all levels he's he's been to a world series uh so that's uh, he, he's he's been to the, to the pinnacle of the sport so that's uh it's it's an interesting hire because I can't really I don't really know if it's good or bad just because well he's never really coached or managed anyone so um but he's he's been a, he's been he's somewhat experienced in indie ball as well um, not so much in the Frontier League but in, in the Atlantic League so a little bit different there just because of roster rules and and stuff like that and the Frontier League's obviously more of a developmental league than say his time. Uh, that I'm sure he noticed with the with the Sugarland Skeeters. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. I, uh, of course, with a, a first time manager, and you would think a guy's not too he's not too far retired at this point. Probably more of a players guy. Yeah. Uh, but 
especially like definitely one of the younger managers that we've seen in, in indie ball. So, uh, it, you know, I think it's, I think it's an interesting hire. And I think more, I think the more interesting part about it is the, just the trend that we've seen, I think over the last couple of years, even you could say in indie ball with, uh, more young, younger managers being hired as opposed to like some guys like I don't want to say getting recycled because that has like a negative connotation, but yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, like, but there's new blood the who have been around, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just uh, it's newer faces coming in there, and I agree with that. And I do wonder how much of this is you know we saw some front office juggling in uh, Joliet earlier in the off season. I it was a lot of the same people were still there. They just got bumped up or moved around a bit. So I wonder if that's part of it. But I also know that apparently there was some uh, some issues in the clubhouse or that the way that uh, Aaron ran his, his dugout was a bit different than uh, than some would like, not, not the best way uh, in some people's minds. So I do wonder bringing a guy that isn't that far removed from baseball, like you pointed out, will kind of... I don't know. It changes the the tone or the culture in there. Obviously, you have a lot of turnover every year, unless you're Tri City, who literally before we jumped on released the roster and it's like ninety percent same dudes uh, from last year. But right. but that's kind of more of a rarity than the than the rule. So I'm not sure how much that has to do with it. But in a way, you know, I, I do wonder if that's a factor in it. I do also think you know bringing in a guy that does have major league experience, has a World Series experience, certainly does help recruit players in, certainly is also a draw to the ballpark in and of itself. Because, I mean, keep in mind, it's not like Detroit is exactly the local team for Joliet, but I'm sure there are some fans of the Tigers that aren't too far away or that are in the area. And that does kind of help bring people out. At the very least, you have a former major league pitcher. Uh, that's now your manager, and that's kind of a draw. It's kind of an appeal in and of itself. So, I mean, that's certainly a plus as well. So, it seems like it works on two levels. Uh, that said, I, I agree that I am concerned a little bit about the actual managing of the game because it's it's a new thing. Even on this level, it's a bit... It's still a challenge, certainly, no doubt about that. And uh, there is roster construction. There is, you know, day-to-day management. There's a lot that, you know, as a, a manager in indie ball, you do a lot more than you would as a manager of a affiliate minor league team or even, I don't want to say necessarily a major league team, but there are different roles that you would have. So it's a bit different than something like that. So it'll be interesting to see how he adjusts to it. Well, I certainly agree that it helps for, for recruiting purposes. Uh, I think just because of having a guy that's, you know, pitched in the big leagues and gotten to, gotten to a world series, he's been around, I mean, he's been around so many, uh, so many studs, especially in, uh, on the pitching staff. I mean, think about the, that Tigers team that made the World Series. I mean, you're talking about guys like Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer, uh, and, and even guys who just go about their business on the offensive side, like, uh, like, like Miguel Cabrera, for example. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's good to bring in a guy like who, who has experience playing with those type of guys. And I wonder if that's kind of what he played on in, in his interview to try and to, to get this job. So I certainly think that I certainly think it helps for the recruiting uh, aspect of it. Now, as far as managing the game, it, it's really, it's really hard to know until he does it. I think that that's the best way to say it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So we'll see how he does this year. Certainly it's got to be better than 39 and 56. 
So you would think. Yeah, it mean it'd be kinda hard to do worse than that now. So we'll see how that turns out and hopefully the slammers turn it around and get back to uh, where they once were winning championships. On that note, we will switch over to Florence. They have a new GM. This will be fairly quick. Uh, Max Johnson will assume the GM position. This is a promotion from director of baseball up slash assistant GM. He's been with the team since 2015 when he started as an intern. A more internal promotion. Tried to find who they replaced, but uh, it seems like Florence did not mention that in either... <clears throat> the actual article itself or on their website anymore, although they still have yet to update, uh, under the contact us page to see, uh, new titles on there. So there is no GM listed. So I'm not sure if they just removed someone or if there simply wasn't a GM for some time. Uh, either way, it doesn't really have much of a fan facing effect. And quite frankly, I don't think it has too much of a, uh, of a player effect either in this particular case is on this level of GM is uh, more so the actual business GM than the player GM. So uh, either way, interesting decision. Uh, and uh, I assume a good hired guy obviously knows the organization. He's been there for, you know, what, about seven years or so now? Yeah, I think that's I think that's the major takeaway. Uh, I think that's the major takeaway from this. Given, I don't think it's going to have any sort of, impact on the field that's not really what general managers do in indie ball but you know it's good to see a guy like max johnson working his way like up the ladder through the organization uh it, you know it gives, gives someone like me hope as i'm as i'm interning places so <laughs> in uh in sports so um yeah so I, it's, it's cool to see uh i'm sure he knows what he's doing and he's been with the organization uh for a while even back in the florence freedom days so yeah. uh uh, it seems like it seems like a good hire. I mean, if he had some sort of baseball operations role, uh, he probably knows what he's doing because Florence is very good. Uh, so I think I think that's it seems it seems like a good decision. Good to see a guy like him work work his way up. And I guess that's that's the major takeaway from it. Mm-hmm. My major takeaway is that in about ten years or so, every GM in the tri-state better watch themselves because you're going to be coming to take the job. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see we'll see watch out justin fiorelli he's coming for your job but <clears throat> if you want to see uh all the action in florence all the action in joliet and you don't want to be able to go to the ballpark or you're not able to go to the ballpark oh, brother you'll be able to do so now on flow sports so the frontier league has signed a multi-year deal with flow sports that will be the exclusive uh, platform for Frontier League Baseball Streaming. Uh, it is the lone professional baseball league on the platform. Uh, it's more or less known for a variety of college sports. Uh, I know that's where I know from. I'm almost certain that's where Will knows it from. And uh, we'll get into the actual cost of this in a moment because we, I think we should have a discussion a bit on the platform before we get into the cost of it, which I'm sure will come up uh, not too, too far into our discussion. Well, I think the cost is the major problem with it, right? Yeah, I um, that that's I think that's that's really been like the major issue with it. And okay, so Flow Sports, the actual content itself is not bad. Like the streams are like pretty high quality. I uh, I don't know if anything will change on that aspect as far as will it improve Frontier League streams? I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it will, maybe it won't. 
But I think that the cost to get a Flow Sports subscription is completely obscene, especially in the in the landscape of independent league baseball. Like people are not going to want to pay for this flow. I mean, I'm not going to say no one, but they are not, there's not many people out there that are going to want to pay for this flow sports subscription. And here, here's what I mean, right? Um, there's, uh, and essentially I'm coming from, from the experience of, I go to Hofstra university in the colonial athletic con colonial athletic association or CAA, you might know it as, uh, Every, every other conference, it seems like on the planet, who's like a smaller conference, has a deal with ESPN Plus. And I, and I have ESPN Plus too. I mean, ESPN Plus is, is great, I think. Uh, it gives you like a bunch of access to like games and streams you, you normally wouldn't see. So I think ESPN Plus is great. However, uh, and it's also like pretty affordable, honestly. Um, however, the CAA, uh, got a ton of money from Flow Sports and Flow Sports, is uh is like the exclusive provider for for CAA sports and at least I got a subscription for Flow Sports actually last year during the pandemic because uh because there were no fans allowed anywhere so even though they were play- like the Hofstra men's basketball team was playing literally like I don't know about a five minute walk from my dorm I couldn't go see them because of the pandemic. I wanted to watch the game. I'm a sports fan. I want to know what's going on. Yeah. So, and so the payment plans, you go to the payment plans and it says, all right, here's your two options. You could either pay $30 a month or $12.50 a month. I'm like, hmm, I'm going to choose $12.50 a month. I probably should have looked closer into that uh, because that was the yearly subscription, which was $150. And obviously, I'm not going to pay for a yearly subscription of $150 because, well, basketball season is only three to four months. Why would I pay for an entire year of Flow Sports content when I only care about basketball season? And for Frontier League fans, why would they pay for a full year of, of content when there isn't content being provided for a full year? It's only being provided for five or six months out of the year. And it's $150. I mean, the, the, I mean, the America, what, I don't know what Frontier League TV was, like how much it cost. It, it could not even be near that. And it's so, all right, fine. Yeah. You want to get a monthly subscription? They jack up the monthly subscription. It's $30 a month, a month, $30 a month. What Frontier League fan, even if they are the, the, the most diehard, I'll just use Joliet as an example because I know they have a great fan base, or what Joliet Slammers fan is going to pay $30 a month to watch their team on the road? I can't see it. I can't see it. And I don't, and it's not all in the Frontier League because I'm sure Flow Sports gave them a lot of money. But, uh, and the idea of a streaming service and like giving it to a streaming service is not a bad idea. But I don't know if ESPN Plus maybe had any interest because I think that would have been more the way to go here if you really wanted to to really grow the brand and grow the game. But, I mean, Flow Sports is so obscenely expensive that I just don't understand who will be, uh, like, what fan will be spending $30 a month 
or we'll just be paying $150 for a year-round subscription for uh, for a league that only is providing content for five to six months. It doesn't make any sense. So, although I think if you do $30 a month, let's say for a five-month season, that might be the same thing. It is. It might yeah. be still 100, it's 100, it's $150 either way. So then you're talking $150 no matter what. Is Frontier League TV $150? No, it's not even close. It's not even close to $150. It's like it's not even half that. Yeah, I believe it was about 15 or 16 a month, I want to say, is what it broke down to. But, I mean, you could just cancel in the off-season if you really didn't care about the off-season content. Okay, so 15, so 15 a month. Uh, let's, let's say someone... Uh, Let's say someone cancels in the off season. All right. Uh, so fifteen times five is oh boy, seventy five. Uh, about that, yeah. Okay, so seventy five. So like so seventy five. So we're we're doubling the price to watch Frontier League games. Mm-hmm. How is that a good idea? How is that a good idea for the fans that you're doubling the price to watch Frontier League games? I think it's obscene. I think it's terrible. And uh, yes, do I have a personal vendetta against Flow Sports? Perhaps you could say that. However, I think that uh, I think expecting a Frontier League baseball fan to pay a hundred and fifty dollars to watch their team is ridiculous. And I I'm not saying don't have a subscription service. I'm not even saying like if you don't want to have your own, that's fine. But I mean, Flow Sports is not the way to go. People are not going to pay that much to watch Frontier League Baseball. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I I also disagree with the paying that much. The American Association is considerably cheaper. I want to say it's about 12 or so a month, which really, when you factor in the fact they give you other content they've been building off of, I mean, uh, we know now they've launched like actual like advanced stat videos they put up on the social media channels i imagine they'll dive more into that there's off-season content there's a lot there as well that you're getting for your money and uh it seems like with this i obviously don't i'm not very familiar with the flow sports platform certainly not as much as well as so i don't know if there's an opportunity to make other content put it on there on some sort of a channel basis or if it's just a matter of they straight up stream the games and then perhaps there's playback of them later on i i don't know exactly how that platform works uh, but that said, uh, 30 a month is, is very expensive prohibitively. So, and 150 for the year, I will say you, I believe you get access for everything on flow sports. So from that perspective, I suppose it really isn't too bad. If you're looking at it from the flow sports perspective where you go, look for a dollar a day on the one and on the flip side for f- about 50 cents or so a day, a little bit more than about 55, 60 cents a day, you get access to everything that's streaming on Flow Sports. And so from that perspective, I understand it. And when, with that kind of a breakdown, it isn't too bad. But at the same time, if you're only a fan of, say, one team, if you're only a fan of, say, you know, one sport, it becomes immediately less and less of a, a deal for you. And I suppose the argument could be, well, Maybe if you go with the 150, you could cancel later on, but you can't really because they hit you all up front for that, uh, that fee. So when they kind of say, Oh, well, if you want to pay less per month, just pay it all up front. You're not really paying less per month. You're just paying all the months at once. 
Uh, on the flip side, obviously with the 30, I mean, it doesn't really matter. You can't game the system because you got to pay for May, June, July, August, and September. So unless you want to cut out a month in there and say, all right, well, we just won't watch the September baseball or we won't watch the May games, then, you know, you're going to get stuck paying a lot. And even still 120, uh, for the full season does seem an awful, an awful lot there. So, what I think would have been ideal is if you would have used the Flow Sports platform and had some way where you could just buy the Frontier League itself. You know, just buy the Frontier League streaming for, say, maybe $10, $12 a month. Or maybe, uh, maybe say, I don't know, uh, let's call it 75 for six months or something like that. You know, I, that probably would have been more ideal or something I, where you could have had that. I, Plus, like I said, I don't, I'm not familiar with the platform, so I can't really comment on whether or not you could create other forms of content and put it up there. Because if you're going to get content 12 months out of the year and it's consistently, you know, like, okay, in the off season, two or three days a week, we're going to get, uh, more content and in season on top of the content you're getting, you know, with the games being played, but you're also going to get something similar to AA baseball TV where you have, you know, a weekly kind of review. You have, uh, kind of a spotlight thing. You have individual team content, all sorts of stuff like that. Then, you know, hey, if that's the case, then it becomes a little bit more worth it if you're getting inundated with content, but it just doesn't seem like that here. So ultimately, uh, again, uh, I, I haven't really seen too much of Flow Sports. I'm familiar with the name, which is not the product. So I can't say if it's a good or a bad thing, but I will say the cost of 30 a month or 150 for the year is uh, rather prohibitive. And it's uh, not exactly a great way if you're trying to, you know, keep fans engaged. Obviously, you know, we know the, the marketing strategy and the business strategy for independent league baseball is people to the ballpark, not people watching from home. But at the same time, it does seem like you could have done a better job with the streaming and incorporated it better, you know, especially when you look, like I said, at a baseball TV, which is, uh, last check, I believe it was $12.99 a month. Um, I'm going to just look that up real quick just to make sure that that's right. And obviously the, the Atlantic League, every team does their own thing. So it's a little bit harder to, uh, to keep up with that. Overall, I don't, uh, I'm not in love with uh, the decision. No, it's... And, like, uh, just looking at the other content, like, on Flow Sports, like, alright, you get CAA Sports. If you're not... if like I'm just talking about other things that are not Frontier League Baseball, such like, if people wanted to, like, see, like, what's the other content? Like, alright, if you don't care about a CAA school, why would you care? Like, it, like we're talking, like, alright, Big East Women's Basketball. Fine. Uh, like... I'm seeing, like, Ohio high school basketball. All right. Mm-hmm. That's something. Um, and then most of it is just, like, CAA stuff. And then, like, some, like, college baseball preseason, like, little, like, pub tournament things. Like, I, I just don't see. Okay, fine. Come middle of the summer, when all the schools are out, and when, all the, when all the school, when, like, when all, like, the, there's the no college, college sports. sports are done. There's no college sports. So it's literally just the Frontier League that you're paying $30 a month for. There's no other content. Like, I, I don't know, I, I don't know what else they could, they could be putting on. I mean, unless like, even, even if they put on a ton of content, I don't think there's really, 
personally, I'm of the opinion, and I know I'm kind of cheap, but I, I'm I'm personally of the opinion that there is no, that there is pretty much no streaming service I would pay thirty dollars a month for. Not Netflix, not Hulu, not nothing. Mm. Like I I don't what there's nothing that I would pay thirty dollars a month for. I mean, now the pandemic was a little bit different. I was desperate and I needed to watch my team. And like, maybe they're just banking on that because that's the money sucking people that they are. But it, it's to me, I just I don't see who's going to pay this much money to watch their team on the road. And I, I and Nick, you make a good point yeah. that the the Frontier League at the end of the day cares about people in the seats, right? Yeah. And they're like whether people watch like their team on the road or not, it's not really their prerogative. So if full sports pays them a bunch of money, they're gonna be like whatever. Um. Uh, although I just think that uh, at the end of the day, they care about people people going to games, so it's not going to be the biggest deal for them. I just don't see who's going to pay it. And I think that the people... I don't think the Frontier League really loses in all this. I just think the fans lose. That's how I feel. Yeah, and I having looked up the American Association, it is uh, $12.99 a month, so it's 155 and change for the year. So it is technically more if you buy the year, but you do have the option just to go monthly. I mean, that's their preferred method, actually. So, you know, it's you're only paying the 13 a month from May through September in season. If you don't care about the off season, then, hey, you cut it off there. Or if you stick around for the full time, it's about the same. And at least, you know, going in, OK, I'm just getting American Association content. And I will say they do a, a pretty good job of actually making content. I got to give them that. Uh, but. Yeah, I agree on it. I just, they obviously don't prioritize the streaming because, I mean, I can't imagine they have more than a couple hundred people on any given day for any given stream watching. You know, I mean, it's just not the, the kind of thing that draws in. So if it allows you to host it cheap or even profit off of it, I mean, hey, then more power to you. It's just, you know, it, it feels like uh, they really are treating it as an ancillary thing, which I suppose it is at the end of the day. So, I mean, it is what it is. And uh, we'll see how it goes for him. But yeah, I just I have a hard time seeing anyone paying uh, 30 a month or 150 for the year. I mean, let's call it what it is, 150 for the American Association season. Anyway, you cut it um, or not American Association, 150 for the uh, Frontier League season. Anyway, you cut it. So it's hard to sell that, especially when you look at other services that are priced out at about that same rate. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is like a uh, AMC Stubbs A-list membership, which, I mean, you get a lot of stuff. I mean, you could see three movies in a theater for free each week for 25 a month for that. I mean, if I'm going to compare the two of them, I'd rather do the one that's 25 and I get movies out of it than, uh, you know, content that for about, give or take, seven months of the year I don't really care about and even during the the five months of the year I do care about the content you're putting on obviously we're in a bit of a different position because you know we got a lot of leagues to watch but you know I'm not going to be watching every night and I can't imagine everybody's going to be tuning in every single night uh for for that and I mean and at 150 a year either way you cut it how many actual physical in-person games could you go to as opposed to paying for for the uh, streaming here. And I got to imagine you'd rather go to an in-person game when it's a minor league baseball team than watching on TV. So uh, it's an unfortunate thing, but uh, we'll see how it turns out, I guess. 
Yep, yep. I, I guess my rant's kind of over, but yeah. that's how I feel about flow sports. Hmm. I think we just shot ourselves in the foot for getting a uh, a flow sports sponsorship, but uh, so goes that boat. Uh, but what we do have to talk about is probably the biggest signing in independently baseball, and that's over in the American Association with the Lake Country Dockhounds, and that is the the signing of Dai Kang Yang. Uh, from the Taiwanese League, or he's a Taiwanese superstar, he's from MPB, my mistake, and uh, I think you and I had a similar reaction when the signing was announced, Will, which is, what is he doing in the American Association at 35, and having seemingly played extremely well in MPB? Yeah, he's had an, he's had an unbelievable career uh, in, in Japan, so I, I think that, uh, are, are we going with Yang as the last name? I believe so, yeah. Okay, so yeah, I, I mean, he's had an unbelievable career in in Japan, uh, really since from from when he was twenty. I mean, he's hit for power, he's hit for average, uh, he's he, he's showed he, he's not so much a base dealer anymore. But I mean, 2013, 47 stolen base season. I, I think that I mean, he's had a really really good career uh, in Japan. I mean. I mean, we're talking 1,400 hits here. Yeah. Uh, 1,400 hits over in Japan. For 142 home runs. I, this is a guy who has had a terrific year. Uh, or, well, not many terrific years in Japan. But I think when you when you look at why he wanted to come to the American Association, I don't really know. Yeah. Uh, but maybe he just wants to play in America or something. Maybe it's just that simple. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know what his contract situation over uh, in, in Japan is like at the moment. I mean certainly people get paid more in Japan uh, yeah. than they do uh, than they do in the American Association. There's no doubt about that. But um, but yeah, I don't I don't really know why he wanted to come, but I, I think he is a he's a great building block uh, I, I think for for the dock hounds this year because uh, and I'm interested to see how he does. Like, I, I'm interested to, ha- to see how he does at this level because I mean, it's not like he's a fossil. He's 35. I mean, yeah, 35 is certainly uh, certainly the older side, but it, it's not anything we haven't seen before. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, just a guy who's had a decorated career in Japan and is now in the American Association. I mean, I mean, what a great opportunity for fans to to see a guy who's a, a, the ultimate professional. I think. I, I think it's really, really cool for the fans of Lake Country. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the guy's nearly averaged a hit a game over the the span of his career. I mean, he's played 1,583 games. He has 1,428 hits. I mean, that's <laughs> the fact he has only about 150 games where he went hitless or went on average, you know, uh, is pretty impressive. I mean, it's... I don't really understand what this guy has to prove here. I mean, I'll admit, like, last year was not exactly the best year for him. He hit 234 over the combined uh, leagues he played in. But the year before, he hit over 300. So, I mean, it's... I, I don't really understand this here. Uh, it, it just makes sense. Maybe he thought he was signing the American League instead of the American Association. Uh, but I I don't really get it. I mean, the dude's a, an all-star over at MPP. He's an MVP in the All-Star game there. He, uh, what else on the way of accolades does he have? He has uh, three Pacific League gold gloves from 2012 through 2014. He led, like you mentioned, well, the 47 uh, steel year, led the Pacific League in uh, stolen bases. 
the guy seemingly, you know, like I said, he's done everything you can over in Japan. So it just seems kind of weird that he's coming over to here. Obviously, he's going to be a, a huge building block, like you mentioned. Obviously, he's going to be the face of this team right off the bat. And obviously, he's probably the best player on the team right off the bat coming into the season. It'd be hard to say otherwise. Uh, but I, I don't quite grasp it like why he'd want to come over i obviously understand the dot counts would be like oh well he's a great player we're going to sign him for that alone uh even if he's not as well known in uh united states and wisconsin in general so i just don't uh something about it just i i don't i'm still hung up on why well i'm sure the dot counts aren't complaining oh, yeah. uh, I, I i don't know i mean you never know i mean maybe maybe he has family that lives in wisconsin like it, it's hard to know yeah. So, I, I think that regardless, he, you're right when you say that he probably becomes the best player uh, on this team and becomes like that build that franchise building block for them. And, and I think it's really cool. I think it's really cool for them to get uh to, to get someone like Yang in there uh, because of I mean the really decorated career he he's had in Japan and I, I think he I think he's going to be a guy who is going to be very very fun to watch. Uh, even though he's even though he's 35 years old, I think he's gonna be a guy who's very very fun to watch in the American Association this year. Oh yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with that. And just out of curiosity, is he? And I know this is really early and really premature to even mention, but is he immediately on the short list for potential MVP candidates? Um, it's hard to make that list now. Yeah, but I think if we were. I mean, you would have to say he's probably in that. Yeah, I think he's got to be in that conversation. Yeah. Um, I, mean, it's, I mean, when you look at like, preseason, because I mean, I mean, we'll do preseason awards, uh, yeah. like or who we think is going to win. Yeah. I, I think, I think, as far as, yeah, if your question being if he's on the short list, I'd say he probably is. I, I think he's. He, I think he's definitely got to be in that conversation. Yeah. Because for me, I mean, he immediately just off of what he's done in the league, that is a much more developed, much more experienced player type league. I mean, one of the better leagues in the world when we look at it. It's uh it's hard for me to say that he wouldn't be, you know, he'd be up there with probably like a Josh Altman, I'd say, up there with a Jose Sermo. Uh, I'm sure there's others that I'm not thinking of off the top of my head that would be on that list too. But I mean I gotta put Yang right there uh with everybody else. So uh it'll be interesting to see how he does this year. I, I'm very curious about that. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a great signing, though. It's going to be fun to watch. Oh, absolutely. And so with that, we go to the final thing for the day, which is more player signings. And this time we go to the Atlantic League. We go to Staten Island, who signed their first player, and then they signed their second player, and then they signed their third player. And a fourth player is coming up today. I don't know when they're going to release it. I'm going to check it while, uh, while we discuss these first three signings to see if they announce player number four before we wind up hanging up on this so that way we can actually talk about all four. But if it's not announced yet, then obviously we can't talk about it. So uh, first guy they signed, uh, former King County Cougar, former uh, really Texas baseball player and a guy with a little bit of a famous last name, uh, Casey Clemens. Pretty much a sole first baseman. He did it well for King County last year. Obviously, his dad's Roger Clemens, you know, former Yankee, former Red Sox, former Astro, former Blue Jay, technically. Uh, he's, uh, he's going to be the inaugural first fairy hawk there. Uh, his connection to New York is pretty obvious. Uh, not a bad player, not a great player, 
certainly a complimentary player that I think if they, you know, build a good team, he's going to be productive. He's not going to be a negative, but I also wouldn't say he's the kind of guy that's, uh, you know, going to be your star on the team. Uh, they bring in Jose Velez as well, New York native. He's a pitcher. Uh, a lot of time in the American Association, Sioux City, uh, St. Paul. A very good reliever. You know, he's a, he's definitely more of a 7th, 8th, ninth inning type of guy. I think if they use him in that role, he'll be very good. I, you want to look at his stats, he's done well in the Amer- American Association, not too distant past. So I, I like that signing. And there's Alfredo Reyes, a shortstop, former Met prospect. I'll admit, I don't know too much about Reyes. Uh, so I will have to defer to Will on this, because he is walking encyclopedia-like knowledge uh, on baseball prospects there. Uh, but uh, yeah, they all have a clear connection to New York, and uh, none of them, I'd say, are bad, but, I mean, none of them are, you know, exactly uh, marquee pieces either. Yeah, and listen, it's just three, it's just three, uh, three signings early on. I, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll bring up Clemens first. Yeah. I, obviously, his last name is his last name. Yeah. It's not, it's like it had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Uh, especially... You know, in New York, yeah. Staten Island, first signing, the son of Roger Clemens. Like, come on. It's, you can put the pieces together. Not to mention I, they were really hammering home the New York's team. We want to be about New York. We want New Yorkers type thing. Right. Exactly. And so now, is Casey Clemens a, a useful player? Yes. Um, he's, he's, he's got a little bit of pop. He's more of a first baseman. Um, he at least an affiliated ball. Uh, affiliated ball has kind of struggled for most of his career, but I mean, the American Association had a good year there last year. So I, I think I, I I don't think there's any reason to believe that he won't be like an above average hitter. Uh, as far as maybe among like league first baseman goes, probably more around the average. Mm-hmm. Um, probably more probably more average for like Atlantic League first baseman because obviously there's more. There's more offense at the first baseman position in, in the Atlantic League specifically. So I, I think he's probably more of an average first base option. But listen, the uh, his name is his name. Uh, that, that's, I'm sure, a big reason why, especially with the Staten Island Fairhawks, Gary Hawks, being in New York. I'm sure the people I grew up yet that are, that are Yankee fans around there, sure they like Roger Clemens. So therefore... Here is Casey Clemens. I bet I bet you Roger Clemens will probably be in a few games this year, quite a few, uh, in Staten Island. So maybe they run some sort of promotion with that. I don't know, uh, but I think that, like, I think Casey Clemens is a uh, he, he is a useful player, probably more of an average first base option. I would say though, yeah. uh, as far as Velez, I really like Velez. He's mm. he's been a guy that's been like a very very good reliever in indie ball for a while. Never pitched it, uh, or rather, he he did have a, a quick Atlantic League stint uh, with the Ducks back in 2017 that did not go well at all. Uh, granted, that's five years ago, and you know shows how long he's been around, really. But I mean, every other place he's been, Frontier League, American Association, he's been very good. Even the Can Am League with the with the Jackals, he was excellent. Uh, so. And even last year, he with with Sioux City, he had a he had a good year out of the bullpen. So I think he's going to be one of their better bullpen options. I think it's a good to, to bring in a guy like that. Um, 
Uh, so I, I like Velez, especially throwing from the left side. Uh, certainly any good lefty reliever will be valuable, and especially guys who strike out as many guys as uh, as Velez does. So I think that that's definitely a good signing. As far as Alfredo Reyes, as far as the Mets connection, you probably would think that uh, that Alfon- that he knows Edgardo Alfonso in some way. It's not like Edgardo Alfonso was the manager of the Brooklyn Cyclones when when uh, Alfredo Reyes was there because that was back in 2015. But yeah, that uh, or Gary won- Perone, you may know Gary Perone from uh, Brooklyn. Yeah, true. I mean, granted, I, I don't know if either of them were there in 2015. Alfonso, I know, definitely wasn't. I believe Perone was. I don't, I don't know for 100%, but I'm pretty certain he was uh, Perone. But maybe Alfonso was, like, within another role with the Mets, like, working in, like, spring, tr- spring training or whatever. Uh, so that's – but at least looking at some of Reyes's, uh, some of Reyes's numbers, numbers don't really jump off the page – uh, 2018 in high A, he had a he had a good year. Definitely more of a contact over power type of guy. Uh, defensively, you would think he's probably a good defender, but it's obviously hard to tell. Uh, it kind of seems, at least looking at his numbers, he's good like in like low A, high A, like those levels. And then as soon as he makes the jump to double A, he really kind of hits a wall offensively. Mm. Uh, so that's going to be something to watch because the Atlantic League is, is obviously better than it's like probably like a plus double A, low triple mm. A type of league. So that'll that'll be something to notice. But we've seen guys who have really not been able to run through that double A wall have broke out in the Atlantic League. So that's certainly possible as well. Um, uh, I don't know. We'll see if he ends up starting for them. Um, he hasn't played. Or well, he he has he did play in the Dominican Winter League a little bit this year, more of a defensive replacement it looks like um, down down in the Dominican Republic. But I, I think you know I think it's a solid building block for the first three for the first three signings. I don't think I, I think your assessment is right, Nick, when you say uh, not no game changers in this list, but you know three solid guys. And and I love Velez. I think Velez could as a we'll see who else who else they sign, but he could very well end up being their closer on opening day. Oh yeah, no, I, I like Velez a lot. I think he's probably the best of the three that were signed. Uh, yes, it's just I agree. Like it's uh, it's just like when you're gonna say, "Oh, this is my my first signing," um, you know, you just like to see someone of a bigger name, especially when we saw Isaiah Tejada come back to the American Association or not. I keep saying American Association when I mean other leagues. When we saw him come back to the Atlantic League. You know, it's just like, well, he would have been a good addition to this team. He would have been very good. You know, we've seen what he can do in York, and now he's going to be in Lexington. So, you know, imagine how good he would have been in Staten Island. Uh, it's just, you know, I think that, again, like you said well in the beginning, it's only three signings. It's still very early on. We still have the whole Atlantic League tryout camp and draft, plus another about two months until the season starts so it's it's really kind of tough to uh to judge it too harshly but it just seems like a lot of good supporting pieces which again every team needs them it just i'd like to see that one nice marquee signing and again maybe number four today is that marquee signing even though i have this sneaking suspicion it's going to be like i'm like pretty sure it's going to be heath quinn uh, but obviously we'll know when this gets formally announced. By the time you're listening to this, you'll know what it is because it will have been announced formally. Uh, but, I mean, I'm still waiting on that one piece. I'm still waiting on that, you know, big name guy. 
And I do hope that they get away from the trend of constantly harping on New York. I understand you want it to be local based. I understand we've said it needs to be, you know, prioritizing the community. But at the same time, don't let that, you know, be your lone guiding light here. Don't let the rest of the team, you know, suffer because of this. Still go get the best quality pieces. It's just like local should be like kind of the tie-breaking category here. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. So I I think it's hard to judge until we know more as far as they're signing. It's three guys, but uh, I I agree. I don't love the the constant harping on uh, the constant harping on New York, New York, New York. So listen again. Though it's three signings, we'll see who they who they look to move on from, and maybe who this next signing is too. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, again, like we may be making a mountain out of a molehill here, but uh, we'll have to see how that turns out. Interested to see how the rest of that roster fills out. And with that, we have reached the end of the show this week. Hopefully, you all enjoyed the show. Uh, we'll see what next week brings, and then we'll bring it to you. Uh, we'll go to the plugs, and we'll get out of here. If you would like to follow the show, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod or on Instagram at ALPB underscore news and at IndieBallReport. Uh, you can also find the show wherever you find podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Podomatic, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Amazon Music. Like I said, pretty much anywhere you can find the show, find podcasts, you can find the show. I'm sure you listen to dozens of podcasts to tell you the same thing, but uh, it's, it's kind of part of the deal when you sign up for these podcasts. You got to plug everywhere it is. It, it's just part of the rules. I, I don't make them. I just repeat them. Uh, you can also go to the website, IndieBallReport.com. Articles are there. Uh, every episode's there. Show notes are there for links in every episode as well as a lot of other stuff. We're getting busy on the actual construction of the Hall of Fame ballot. That should be up sometime this week. If you don't know I'm referencing, go back and listen to last week's show and you'll be caught up to speed on that. Uh, So with that said, do we have anything else left to add? So my thing to add is about the NCAA tournament for for basketball. Um, This this idea was originally brought up by one John Rothstein on Twitter. uh, And one of the the more well-known college basketball writers. And I have to say, I'm totally in on this deal to in, in this idea to fix the first four round of the NCAA tournament. Because his and his idea, which I com- I fully agree with, is stop making the like uh, stop making like two of the first four matchups be like st- like two teams that are like playing trying to play into the sixteen seed. Like if you win your conference, you should like and you get an automatic bid. Actually, get an automatic bid and actually get a shot at one of the big guys. The first four should be, like, all of those eight, like, they should all be at-large bids and teams that, like, actually, like, squeaked in on the bubble or whatever and let them play their way in instead of making, like, Norfolk State and Mississippi Valley State playing in for the 16 seed to get railed by Gonzaga. Like, it, it seems kind of, like, disingenuous, I think, to, uh, I, I think it's, I really do think it's disingenuous to some of these teams. They're like, hey, like we won an NCAA tournament game. Like, well, did you really? Because you just happened to be put into the 
a 16 seed play-in game. Like, I, I think that instead, um, I, I really like the idea of let those teams, let the teams who just squeaked in on the bubble try and play into the 11 and the 12 seed. I really like that idea and to reward teams and those mid-major teams for winning their conference and make those like those bigger teams I that that maybe just got their way in make them play their play themselves into the first round of the NCAA tournament. Uh, and I also think it would make for some amazing basketball over the fir- over the first four as well instead of having to waste like 2 hours watching Norfolk State versus I don't know like Texas Southern in the uh, in the in the in the first four when they're everyone everyone and their mother knows that they're going to get killed the next game so I, I, that's how that's how I feel about it I, I think it was a great idea I never even thought of it before I saw it a couple of weeks ago on Twitter and I think it's a really good idea and I wanted to share it with everyone I will only counter with this though let's say you play in one of those mid-major conferences if you didn't play in that conference would you otherwise have made the tournament itself um, I think in most cases, no, but I, I, so, I don't, I wouldn't say a blanket statement as far as, but more often than not, the answer would be no. Correct. So then if the answer is more often than not, no, then why should a team that played in, you know, like, let's just use the ACC or the big uh, East, for example, here, why should a team like Creighton that has to play Villanova, Providence, Seton Hall, um, and Marquette some years, you know, notable teams, good teams, or like, let's say, an NC State that has to go through a Duke, a UNC, a Virginia, Virginia Tech, uh, Florida State, Syracuse, you know, quality schools, why should they be put at a disadvantage for playing better teams when a school like, let's say, you know, uh, San Francisco really only has a challenge in Gonzaga and everything else, it's like, well, it's like we're better than the standard mid-major we're in this tournament. Or in the case of just winning your conference outright, let's use like a Wagner, for example, that gets to play like a Seton Hall, uh, like a, not Seton Hall, like a Sacred Heart, a Quinnipiac, a Sierra, you know, things like that. It's like, well, you know, who exactly had the more difficult schedule here? So it seems like you're almost rewarding teams for beating up on an easy schedule and being in a weaker conference than putting them in a tougher conference, having a tougher schedule, and playing not as well. I mean, if I have the decision to go from, like, say, Conference USA from Missouri Valley, maybe I just stay in Missouri Valley if I know I can consistently win it, and I'll be safely in, like, a 14 or a 15 seed as opposed to having to play my way in in a, in a Conference USA-type setup where I would be on the bubble, sneak in, and then have to play, like, I don't know... uh Florida State or Florida in a given year and then have to match up against like Duke or Villanova or Gonzaga or you know a blue blood powerhouse like maybe a Kentucky or something it just doesn't seem quite fair when you have a tougher road there and now you're being punished for you know being in a better conference well I would counter with this I don't think that uh, well, no one's saying that a team who just squeaks in, um, let's say, I'll just use like Texas Southern as an example. Let's say they win the SWAC. Okay. Uh, no one, no one's saying that a team, I'll just say Rutgers because they're on the bubble. Okay. Like if Rutgers, if Rutgers were to squeak in and, uh, it were to like squeak into the tournament and Texas, no one's saying that Rutgers isn't better than Texas Southern. Uh, what I would say is that 
you get an automatic bid when you win your conference, no matter what. That's a given. So, so at that point, I would I think it'd be a lot more interesting to see some of these bubble teams have to play their way in. And not to mention when they play their if they win that playing game, they're an 11 seed. They're a 12 seed. They're not like if you're they're not like a 15 seed or a 16 seed where you essentially have no chance of winning. Like I don't, I don't think it's as much of a disadvantage as you as you seem to make it. I mean, let's look at last year. UCLA was a first four team. They beat Michigan State. They had a great comeback and they made the final four. So mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't think it's entirely this massive disadvantage that uh, that that you make it out to be. I'm just like I don't really have a strong feeling on it one way or the other. I'm just looking at it as you know, I you know, I value strength of schedule ahead of you know just having an automatic in and i just i see i see teams that otherwise if not for that auto in wouldn't be in so i just feel like we're going to reward the teams that you know have a better schedule have a tougher road there as opposed to that and i mean i feel like the tournament's role is kind of like okay we're gonna find the best you know 64 68 teams in the country we're going to number them through one through 68 and we're going to find out who here is the actual best team in the country on any given you know thing any given day so uh that's just the way i look at it like i said i don't really have a strong opinion on it one way or the other it's just i don't have much of an issue with the current system here and i understand they're going to be more of a mid-tier seat but I would say then if you're coming out of it and you're one of those SWAC conference teams and an N10 team, you know, any a CAA team, you have a better chance getting matchup against a lower rank than a higher rank. Or even still, I mean, I being a Duke fan, I know you as a two seed, nothing's really a given from Lehigh <laughs> and series of others. Also, them picking Georgetown one year where they lost to Florida Gulf Coast. You know, I understand being a two seed is far from a lock. So... You know, I will say if you're a 16 seed, you're basically done. Again, I took Virginia that one year, and they had is, to lose. Is there, an, is, is there any other one seed that you uh, that you would like to declare a lock this year, Nick? I, uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna withhold that. Oh. We're gonna withhold that for now. I I would like to wait until I see a bracket, which we're only about a month away from brackets and. You know, this and hockey, so I'm excited. Racket season's always fun. But, yeah, I don't really have much to add. I don't think I actually have anything to really add this week. I'm I'm pretty good on everything, and, uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. So, I suppose uh, until next time, don't forget to play ball.